Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. Hey, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a couple of our partners. These are some of the folks that help us keep the podcast going, and they've been nice enough to offer some exclusive discounts for our listeners. Now, if you've watched us on YouTube, you all know how we love to display our kicks when we're not rocking them. Sneaker Throne makes sneaker display cases featuring customizable LED lights, drop side cases to showcase your entire shoe, not just the heel, not just the toe, shoe trees, a number of other sneaker-related accessories. You can save 10% on your Sneaker Throne order by using the code HISTORY. You can find a link to Sneaker Throne in the description, or you can just head to sneakerhistory.com slash sneakerthrone, and it will send you directly to their site. Again, that's 10% off with the code HISTORY. Our friends at Prospect are the premier streetwear brand and sneaker boutique based in sunny San Diego, California. One of my favorite places. Prospect is not your typical hypebeast haven, though. They carry classic footwear from brands like Asics, New Balance, Puma, Saucony, as well as local and globally known streetwear brands like Belief, Illust, Rottweiler, Stussy, and many others. Not to mention their own Prospect label and the iconic Just a Kid from Dago collection. If you're a listener of the podcast, you can save 10% on all of your orders from Prospect through their website with the code HISTORY10. That's promo code HISTORY10 at prspctsd.com. Now, if you're a Patreon supporter or a member of our Discord community, you already know about Kicks with V Hot Sauce and his small batch locally sourced hot sauce. V has been one of the biggest supporters of sneaker history and the podcast since the early days. And his hot sauce has been a huge hit with the community. To celebrate the launch of his new coffee habanero flavor hot sauce and his new habanero honey, my personal favorite, he's given an exclusive discount to our podcast listeners. The first 50 people to use the code SneakerHistory10 will save 10% on their order from KicksWithVHots.com. That's SneakerHistory10 at KicksWithVHots.com. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring the podcast or becoming a partner with our community, get in touch with us. You can reach us by email at podcast at SneakerHistory.com. And we'll get back to you with information about how we can partner. And now for today's episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Seconds. Bryant for the win. Iverson against Gill. The crowd on its feet. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. Pretty stoked today because I get to catch up with one of my good friends, uh, Blake Butner, who actually worked with me at StockX for a number of years, and he is the managing editor of Worn and Wound. So this is going to be a little bit different of a podcast because it's not going to be super focused on sneakers, but there's so much crossover in these two hobbies that we share, and, and us being friends have talked about this for a long time. I was actually a guest on their podcast, so if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. We'll leave a link in the description for it. But Blake, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. How you doing, man? Nick, excellent. It's always awesome to chat with you. Uh, I love it getting getting your insights on sneakers. You've pulled me into this hobby a little bit, um, and 
Well, I guess we can talk more about it, but I've had to kind of like hold it at arm's length a little bit because, you know, it's a slippery slope how that goes. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, man. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for uh, making the time to come on, man. And and yeah, slippery slope. That's actually, you know, that's literally the, the uh, you know, kind of the, the mentality that I have with watches, too, because, um, you know, my brother's a little into watches and I've got a couple of uncles that are into watches. And like, I just I just feel like. It's, it's not even a slope, man. It's, it's just literally a cliff. Like I'm just diving in, like I'm, you know, vacationing in Hawaii and straight in. So I'm, 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 I'm trying not to do that, but I think there's just, you know, we've talked about it at length many times and there's just so much crossover between sneakers and watches and just the, you know, and for us specifically cars like that, just kind of these worlds that overlap so much, but yet we're so secluded in so many ways that, you know, uh, I, I, I figured that like talking to you would give some of the people that listen to this podcast a little bit more insight and kind of understanding if they do have an interest in getting involved or, or, you know, if people are already involved, they'll be just happy to hear from you on, on this side of the world anyway. So, um, I guess like first Give, you know, maybe a, a short background on, on who you are and then, you know, what Worn and Wound is and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the managing editor, as you mentioned, here at Worn and Wound. Um, I've been in and around and covering the watch world and industry uh, for, uh, boy, maybe about 12 years now. Um, and uh, I was with uh, I was with Hodinkee very early on and uh, was a member of that team for, for about five or six years. Um and then made the move to uh, to Detroit <laughs> for uh, for StockX, where I met you, uh, which was great, which was just a, a, a really incredible experience, as you know, and kind of pulled me into that whole different world. Uh, so I helped build the luxury vertical out there um, with with, uh, with some excellent team members, obviously. Um, so I was there for about three years um, and then uh, and then made the move uh, out here to New York, uh, which has been fantastic uh, to work with Worn and Wound. I've known these guys for a long time. Um, I'm sure it's the same in the sneaker world. Like once you get to a certain level, it's a pretty small world, uh, yeah. right? Like, so, you know, it's all the same. It's, it's familiar faces that you get to see. So I've known these guys at Warner Wild for a long time and I like their approach. They take a very, um, I know this is like an overused word, but like authentic yep. <laughs> a, a, a approach to the hobby. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, they're not focused on like, um, uh, the superficial parts of the hobby, uh, right? They, they take a very like realistic, like almost, you know, approachable uh um like route to this hobby it's not supposed to be like just a rich white guy thing and uh like you're showing off wealth and that's not how we experience the hobby that's not how we enjoy the hobby that's not how we write about the hobby that's why you don't really see like celebrity watch spotting posts on our on our websites or like whatever the watches are performing at auction just because i mean that can be cool but it's not like how we enjoy the hobby and it doesn't like heighten like people with money having this stuff doesn't heighten our enjoyment of the hobby um and i'm sure you experience the same thing there but that's kind of what makes yeah. this the morning while a little bit different um and i think puts us in like a pretty unique position uh now especially especially these days because the hobby um like sneakers it's like it's changed a lot as it's grown and i think there's a lot of like um like hype fomo culture that's kind of entered into it uh, so it's got a lot of people into the hobby that way but uh but if you want to like stick around i think there's a lot more underneath that that you really have to understand and appreciate you know 
Definitely. I mean, that's that's so spot on to the to how sneaker sneakers work and sneaker history specifically. You know, we you know, the the uh, the unattainable stuff is is interesting occasionally. Right. But, you know, we can't focus on on that stuff. Otherwise, you just end up being, you know, bummed out about the entire hobby. And I think that's that's something that we've tried to kind of you know, balance. It's like, we want to talk about the whole, the whole picture. Right. And those things, you know, specifically like high end auctions, um, that are going on now where sneakers, you know, unless you're really, really passionate about game worn and, and, you know, game use stuff back in the day, you never really cared about the kind of stuff that's now an ongoing conversation within the hobby. And specifically, you know, like the, the hype culture and the FOMO and all that stuff, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we have a community of, you know, 150 or so people and, you know, it's nice if somebody gets something like that and, you know, they want it and people look out for each other within the community, but it's definitely not something that, that drives most of the conversation or most of the enjoyable conversation for us in the community, because it's not something that most of us will ever be able to relate to, you know, like, uh, I love seeing that stuff. I love seeing, you know, some of the, the craziness and the just, you know, unattainable stuff as like this, like, you know, it's kind of like the car world. It's like, of course I want to go see a Gunther works or a, or a singer or something. But the reality is like my budget is, is going to keep me in like the, you know, nine, two fours or the nine, four, four Porsches, you know, it's going to be like a very <laughs> yeah. basic entry level Porsche for me. So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's cool to hear you say that. And I think that'll be a, a good kind of starting point for, for our conversation, but you, you guys do, uh, you know, the, what's on your wrist today, we do something called rocking and copping. So what is something that you've been wearing lately or maybe your latest pickup on the sneaker side of things? Yeah. Uh, so I actually, um, well, right now I'm wearing, um, uh, a gel light threes. Uh, this is the Ronnie Feig, uh, ones. I forget the name. It was like the colorways where he did all the kind of like, um, yep. kind of grayish, purplish, right. Uh, colorways. So I'm a huge gel light three fan. Um, they're very comfortable. They're, they're, they seem to like go with everything or at least I'm not the fanciest guy in the world, as you can see, and they go with my style like pretty well. Um, and then on my wrist is, uh, a Rolex Explorer, a reference of 124270. Uh, this is the new Explorer one in the 36 millimeter case. Um, we're doing some content around it, so I've been wearing it around. I don't always like just wear Rolexes around or that kind of thing. It's, uh, I don't want to give you the wrong impression or anything. Um, but this is just a watch that we've got in for for like review and that we're doing some content around. Um, nice. But as far as Rolexes go, this is it's a good one to have. I mean, the MSRP is like sixty five hundred bucks, very expensive, but it's kind of like on the entry level um, there. And uh, and yeah, and I've got my I've got my my Milwaukee hat on and my my uh, spotted cow here. Um, you may have heard um, of the Milwaukee Bucks that just won the, <laughs> the yeah. national. So I'm still kind of geeking out. I'm from Madison, as you know, uh, Wisconsin. Yep. So, um, so I'm still in that headspace out here. Nice, man. Congrats. That's, it's such a, you know, it's such an incredible feeling as a, as a sports fan where, when, when your team actually wins, man, I, you know, being a Giants fan, I, I mean, I'm not wearing, I'm, I'm wearing a Giants affiliate team from back in the day, but like not wearing a Giants hat today, but it, you know, my, I've probably told this before on the podcast, but like my grandparents went to at least one game a year in San Francisco from 1958 when the team came to town up until about 2008 or nine when they just couldn't physically get there and go. And, um, yeah. you know, 
the Giants ended up winning in 2010 and, and 12 and 14 had like a crazy run. And yep. like, you know, 2010, first time I saw my grandpa cry, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is sports for me. Right. It's just, yeah. it's so much more. And, and it, it was so cool to see, you know, nothing against the sons and, and those guys. There's definitely a, a lot of people, you know, my uncle lives in Phoenix has been a Suns fan since he moved down there decades ago. But um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see that. And, and I think, I think we just, we just had a, um, a guest on uh, to talk about her book about Giannis and um, his journey. And it's just, it's just fascinating how, you know, those types of stories kind of can, can create like moments within our, our hobby that, that like completely annihilate whatever hype and, and FOMO is right. Because if you're passionate or you're a fan of that, or if you enjoyed the, 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 the you know, finals, you might pick up a, a Giannis shoe that, you know, to remember that moment for yourself. Yeah. And so I was wondering if like, is there anything like that in the watch world that, you know, is, is, has a similar kind of, uh, I guess, cultural like moment type of thing that, that impacts, you know, people's interest in particular brands or, or watches. I mean, there is like kind of a culture at large, I suppose. Um, but it's probably less like focused on a certain event. Like I know the basketball culture seems to be like pretty entwined with sneaker culture, um, which is, which is really cool. Um, like the, the watch stuff kind of bridges into, uh, into like movie culture a little bit. Um, and then, uh, uh, like the automotive world as well, which I know that there's been kind of a lot of crossover with, with like you and me. And I'm sure you know a lot of car guys that are also like big into watches. It's just something, I think there's like, there's like a collector gene. There's like a gene that we have, I think, that, yeah. uh, that you just are like prone to get, getting into this kind of stuff. And, and if you're the kind of person that's going to take the time to understand like a mechanical watch and, and appreciate that, then you probably, there's, there's other things about the automotive world and the mechanics of that that you're like really going to appreciate as well. Um, which, uh, which, yeah, in, 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 you spot these people, right? Like, like a guy has a new, you know, 992 turbo and it's like, great, you know, that's really cool. And, and you, you've got, you know, the money to buy. You don't know if he's like a car guy, but if you see like a 928 rolling around in great condition, you know, that person's probably a car guy, you know, and you're going to want to go and like make the time to talk to him. <laughs> so, I mean, in the watch world, it's the same, you know, if you saw me, you know, wearing this, you'd, you'd probably like pass me right by. I'd be like, oh, it's just some like, some, you know, nerd with a Rolex doing some money, but, uh, but a lot of the watches that we have and wear about and talk about, like if you see them, you know, you know, and they might not be $10,000 watches, they might be $500 watches or whatever, but they're not just a watch that you go pick up for, you know, to pick up a watch. Like if you have it, you know, and you know, that person is probably into it on another level, um, and enjoys it like on another level. Um, and to me, like there's a lot of fun in this hobby to be had in that price range, right? Like it's, it's it takes it out of this realm of like the precious right yeah. and it puts it in this like hey you're using this every single day and you can enjoy it every single day and more importantly you're creating memories in it every single day and i don't know if you think about shoes this way or not but i like i used to be in the vintage watches a lot more and recently i've kind of gotten into like more modern stuff that maybe doesn't have the characters like some of the vintage stuff but i find myself like i don't have to be precious with it so i wear it more often so whenever like 
I go through something like the Bucks won the finals, right? And I'm like on the couch because it's super here in the East Coast. It's like super late by the time the game ends. And, uh, you know, when I see, oh, they're going to win, I go and like I wake up my son and it's like midnight and he's groggy. And we watch the end of the game together, like on my phone streaming, you know, and I happen to be wearing, um, you know, some old Seiko or whatever that I had on. Like that's a memory that I have in that watch now, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you don't think about those things. You don't plan on those things happening, but they just happen. Uh, so I don't know. It, like I I like that. I like using this stuff and I don't like treating it as, oh, this is like a precious thing that has to go in the lock box and I have to like track it like an investment and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same thing for me with sneakers. You know, I, uh, all the memories that I have of, you know, meeting people or, you know, going to events and, and not even sneaker related events necessarily. I mean, there are some of those where it's like, Hey, I remember I met, you know, uh, you know, my friend Dalton, who's in our sneaker history community and helps with the community. And, and, you know, I was wearing LeBron sevens when I met him because I was in Cleveland for a sneaker con event, you know, or Columbus, Ohio for a sneaker con event. But like for me, you know, uh, I mean, like I remember going to the races with my brother in, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands when American Le Mans was like kind of just starting out and, mm-hmm. you know, wearing a pair of Jordan true blue threes and like, getting them all muddy and, and beating them up from that event. And like, you know, I, I, yes, of course it's like, you don't want to see it totally destroyed, but at the same time, like that's going to live in my mind way longer than most of the shoes that I own because I have that story, that personal story with it. So yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing about like hobbies and, and kind of that, like the it's, it's almost, I wonder if, and maybe I'll pose this question to you. I wonder if that for you know, let's say the average consumer, if that kind of mentality and thought process comes from almost like a pushback to the hype culture and the FOMO that we've been dealing with, you know, for the past, I don't know, five years or 10 years or whatever it's been, because it didn't seem like that was always a thing. It seemed like rare, a rare instance that you would find people that had that same mentality a decade ago, in my opinion, at least in the sneaker world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is, this is like the paradox because there's, there's, every week seemingly like something that you got to have and it's 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 you know it's tempting and it's you're always thinking about like oh man i can't wait for this drop or i can't wait for that to come out i can't wait to see what they do next year but at the same time these products are being pitched to us well i mean at least on the watch side it's like something that you buy and just wear for the rest of your life right like it's it seems like an odd thing to like you know uh to think about but but uh i feel like the the sneaker culture like it really touched uh, a nerve and that like really exploded in that and and it's really fun to see how that's evolved um but it's 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 come into into like the watch world now where watch brands are like on these uh more frequent like release schedules and updating with different dial colors and it's it's almost like you know they're trying to keep up um which is which seems ridiculous right because the sneakers you know some of them kind of fall in the realm of like impulse purchase type buys um you know where some of these watch brands are are you know they're selling you know, five, six, seven, ten thousand plus dollar watches, right? Like, yeah. you're not going to be like paying attention for like whatever the next big one is, like the next week. Like, is it something that you you maybe save up for and it's like a big purchase, and then you know you're asked to like, hey, this is something that I'm going to experience and have for the rest of my life. Being collectors, we operate a little differently, though, right? Like, I see behind you, you've got uh, you've got more than a couple of pairs of shoes, right? I've got watch boxes over here filled with all kinds of watches, and but that's just like that's our livelihood, and that's how we enjoy the hobby. Um, so yeah, it's 
it's tough. It's, you know, you want to feel like these are things that, that you can buy and hold on to and create the experiences with. And then how do you balance that out with, well, I can't just buy every new thing that comes out like every week. Um, so it's, it's tough. Like I don't, I haven't like figured out like the good balance of that. It's not like I'm buying watches every week or anything like that. And I'm sure you aren't buying sneakers every week. Yeah, um, yeah. but I guess like, it's just like, there's, they seem to be finding like any holes in the, you know, like uh, we're we're growing our market share, and 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 you know we got to make a watch, or we got to make a shoe that's for everybody, and so we don't have a watch for this type of person, so we got to make a watch that's this, or you know we don't have a shoe that's like this style, so we got to make that style. Um, so it seems like it's like plugging up all the holes. And I used this analogy on the podcast the the other week, talking about like how more watch brands are doing this, and and likening it to to like in the old days, BMW, it was. You know, it was like the the three, the five, the seven. If you go back far enough, like the eight, right? And that was that. Like that, that was the lineup. Now you've got like a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, and each one of them has like multiple variants within. The two door versions have four door versions. The four door versions have two door versions. Like it's it's there's got to be a car that's that's like for everybody, right? And I, I see a lot of brands like kind of take the same approach. But at the end of the day, now like you walk into a BMW dealership and it's kind of like, oh, you know, what's going on here? Like sure, the eight series is beautiful or whatever, but. Uh, it's just not the same, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Do you, do you, I guess, do you see the industry as a whole? One of the things that's, that's, you know, obviously, you know, sneakers collaborations and like that limited approach, um, or maybe just a, a more focused niche, you know, marketing tactic for a particular region or, or, you know, style or story, story or whatever. Do you find that in watches, you know, that, that same kind of mentality of like trying to, I guess, slice up the market in different ways to, to, you know, through collaborations. I mean, I, I we talked a little bit before we started recording and, you know, I, when, when you were, you know, when you agreed to come on, I started thinking about like, okay, well, I, I know sneaker freaker magazine has been around for, you know, a long time. They've done G-Shocks, you know, G-Shocks is kind of a, I don't know. It's like, to, to me, it's just like the standard, Hey, we want to have a watch in the, in the store kind of boutique, obviously sneaker freakers a magazine, but I feel like most sneaker boutiques are, you know, going to try to get a G-Shock at some point. Right. Cause that's almost like a, a stamp of approval from someone outside of their world to say, Hey, they, these guys are cool. Um, but then we also see, you know, uh, I think, uh, I think ASICS did a whole shoe release that was, you know, framed around a, a, a G-Shock a couple of years back. And then Greats Brand just did a, a Timex or yeah, a Timex a year or two ago. So is that something that is common within watches? And, and you know, what does that landscape look like for the kind of, I guess, I don't know if it's if it's the more uh, the boutique side in sneakers, does that exist within the watch? Yeah, community? you, yeah, you do see a lot of this. And, and obviously like the collaboration type thing is becoming like, it's everything like who you collaborate with now. Like it's, it can, it can do a lot. And there's even like collector communities that collaborate with brands to develop their own like watches for the community. Even if it's like 50 of them or 20 of them, like they'll do that. Even if it costs, 50, 60 grand, you know, that's just like how, how it is. But I think the boutique scene, like 
there definitely is boutique uh, specific models that they'll develop for like Miami, New York, LA. Um, you know, that like the, the AP boutiques will get a certain dial color or configuration of a watch and then that's there. But I also see it like on, on, on the like sub $500 scale, you see a lot of this kind of stuff too that is maybe like more regional thinking or at least like that's how they're telling the story right like todd snyder did this thing with timex and it's you know they talk about up in the hamptons or wherever and you can get the thing and it's you know if that's like the lifestyle thing that you're going for that speaks to you then and that's great and i just was looking at these three two sevens that todd snyder did the the farmer's market i think they're called this like three colorways of them um so yeah it seems to be like breaking into these like small segments of of like hey we can tell like a little story here but i think it works a little better like that right like the 327 is what like 100 bucks 120 bucks or something like that and then g-shock uh or timexes or that kind of thing that are like a few hundred dollars it's easier to like buy into that story if it, if it's like kind of in that price range you know when you're talking True. like tens of thousands of dollars it's like a different thing but but I, I see a lot more of that type happening and especially this year and <clears throat> i don't know if it's something that you've seen in the sneaker world too but but uh, in the watch world like this year especially we've seen a lot of like bright color schemes coming in and i don't know if it's like because 2020 was such a well, it was 2020, right? Like it was rough. Yeah. We were all kind of inside, and 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 and, and it, was, it was you know now coming out of all this and, and being able to like go outside and interact with people and all this kind of stuff. Have you seen a lot brighter colorways coming out from watch brands, which has been really fun to see. Um, and I think there you know you capture some seasonality there of like the summer watch, but again like. If you're pitching this as something that you're going to like buy and wear for the next like 10 years of your life, right? The seasonality thing yeah. kind of like goes out the window, but they do sell them. And I think more and more people are putting, are finding themselves in a position of like, all right, well, I'll, I'll maybe have like three or four watches and I'll have this watch for like the summer seasons or this when I go to the Hamptons or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, so uh, is that a trend that you've seen follow through as well in sneakers? Uh, I mean, I think sneakers always has the bright colors, right? A uh, part of it is is just that, you know, and I would say the difference, I guess, is that uh, with sneakers, you're always, it's, it's always been more about standing out, right? Even if you go back to like, you know, Michael Jordan or even earlier athletes, uh, you know, having potentially their own colorway that matched the jerseys or whatever of the team that they're on, right? That stuff was intentionally done to, to break from the norm of, hey, a solid white shoe with one, you know, accent color. Right. Um, so I think that it always exists. I, I have seen a lot more, I think there's a lot more, I guess, positivity, uh, you know, trying to be pushed into the stories, uh, you know, and, and rightfully so, right. Like, like you said, 2020 was, I mean, it was rough for, for everybody. Right. And I think, I think, you know, for me, sneakers, cars, any, any hobby that I've, that I've been a part of, you know, that's kind of your escape, I guess, from the, the, the real world in a sense, right? Like that kind of, uh, you know, mentality or, or positioning for, for the stories is ultimately going to lead to brighter colors and, and, you know, I think more interesting stories too, because people are like, you know, the Hamptons might be a little uppity for this reference, but like that is, you know, an aspirational, Hey, let's get out of here and go enjoy ourselves. And, and, you know, I think we're, we're also all kind of looking at like, how do we escape so much of this? Right. It's been such a, a, a rough, you know, year and a half of not being able to go out and do things freely, but also still, you know, 
a majority of the country still, you know, backed in next door to their neighbor. And, and, you know, every time you see other human beings, you're thinking, okay, is this safe? You know? And yeah, like, yeah. um, so, so like, you know, it, I think that, that it exists. I think that there's kind of levels to it with sneakers just because it's been going on maybe longer than the watch world. Um, but I also think that like, that's, that's how we're going to, you know, we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. You know, I, I mean, I can, I can only imagine that like, just, just because I just saw a, something on Twitter about it, but like, you know, concerts, right? Like I haven't been to a concert, you know, since 2019, like I, I, I'm a big like music person. So I would go to concerts regularly. I'm not a big festival person, but like I could see how we're going to have a massive boom whenever it is. I mean, we already saw Lollapalooza in Chicago was, you know, hundred and something thousand people every day, yeah. you know, and I, I'm not ready to be in that position, yeah, and, no. you know, but like <laughs> at some point we'll eventually all get back to a point of like, okay, let's go, let's go do these things that we would love to do. And I could see how, you know, both footwear watch, you know, all sorts of people are going to be like, Hey, let's get involved in that because that's where all the energy is at for this next, whatever, you know, two to three years of, you know, kind of recreating normal again, if, if that's the way to say it, I don't know, but, yeah. um, do you, do you find that, um, do you find that, I guess, like the community, the watch community, uh, like enjoys that kind of like smaller, you know, or collaborative effort the way the sneaker world does, or is it, you know, still kind of new? Yeah, that's an interesting, I, th I think there's, there's a lot of people that are, are still kind of like, that don't really know what to make of it, especially in terms of like, again, like if this is something that you want to have for the rest of your life, um, like I, maybe the best way to think of it is, uh, like in the, like back when like, uh, like Rolls Royce was like a custom coach builder, right. And then they were like making, uh, you know, one-off requests for their customers and you're getting something that's kind of like bespoke to your taste like it's 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 kind of a similar vein to that especially like up on the high end like i was mentioning those communities that will you know design watches for the members of their communities that's like totally bespoke for them um or like auction the only watch where they make like a single example of a watch to to put up for auction um but I, I mean, there's, there's, there's still like this whole idea of like the exclusivity thing also kind of works at odds with, you know, like, hey, this is a growing community. Then you want this stuff to be available to everyone. And, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, there shouldn't be a, like a price barrier to entry if you want to enjoy this this hobby. Right. Like there should be something there for, for all of us. Um, I think some of the creations that come out of it, though, are really awesome. And uh, yeah. there's one brand that's like on the really high end MB&F. It's this guy, Max Booser, and then the F is just friends. So everything he does is like a collaborative effort with like all the people that he knows elsewhere in the industry. And while very few people can can buy one of those, I think it kind of like heightens your really appreciation and like passion for for what's going on um but it's still like oem type stuff it's not like taking something that exists and like modding it it's 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 making it like in your own vision right which is kind of a cool thing which is different from like uh i just saw the uh what's the lamar ball the rookie of the year guy uh the LeVar, did, yeah yeah they did this yeah, watch with the mellow ball yeah oh yeah. my gosh yeah that's right so <laughs> sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but like it has yeah. to be deeper than just like throwing like your name on the dial or or something like 
I, there's there's a lot of stories there that are really interesting, and I think um, there's there's a lot of really incredible talent in the in this um, industry. And I think the more that you can kind of like pool that together to do awesome things, like of course you know you want to support that, and people like to see that. But at the same time, we also want like cool shit that we can buy, right? Yeah, yep. <laughs> so yep. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Um, so so that kind of makes me think like you know talking about like kind of the the more um, you know like the uh, let's say the the groups that are they're going and having the bespoke stuff made, you know that that happens obviously in sneakers too. It's pretty interesting to kind of watch how that's evolved because we've also seen you know in the last I'd say eighteen months, you know the you know the artists that create recreate a Jordan one with their own logo on the side instead of a swoosh, right, or mm. or a dunk or whatever, and they basically are that same thing as, as what you're referring to in the watch world, right? They're, they're like, Hey, we've, you know, like I'm going to sell to my fan base. I've created enough energy around myself and what I do to be able to produce these things. Now, you know, in the last couple of months, we've had Nike, you know, one patent that, you know, actually have a patent on the Jordan one for the first time, you know, in interesting decades or whatever. Yeah. Um, but now they're they're you know even suing some of these people that are that are you know customizers artists whatever you know it's it's a we're kind of at that point where like there's so much money in it that I think Nike has to protect their brand that to me that sucks because now you're going after the artists and the little communities that have created the pockets in this world that you know I those types of things are not necessarily for me but I do think that they bring interest into to to the hobby and I always think that that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, do you, I guess like, do, do you see that? Um, you know, the, the, the name that comes to mind is Bamford. Cause I, I know they've done, you know, collaborations with a bunch of the streetwear brands that I admire. So how does, how does the watch community view that kind of gray area is, I guess, a, as a, you know, as a, might be a too tough of a term for it because sometimes it's not gray, but yeah. it, it really is kind of a, you know, a divisive area in, in most hobbies. Yeah, it really is. And Bamford, I think, is an interesting example because, you know, it's certainly not for, for everybody, but uh, LVMH snatched him up. Um, to so, so now he, like, does the in, in-house, like, customizations for, um, like, Zenith and Tag Heuer. Like, there's a handful of their brands that write on their e-com sites. You can just, like, a Nike ID type thing. You can, like, yeah. I want this color dial, this color hands, this, you know, color hour markers, um, and, like, really go to town on it if you want. I don't know how the brands, like... I, I, to be honest, like this kind of surprised me because you could create a version of the watch potentially, which is like kind of ugly, <laughs> like if we're being honest, and it's still got like that brand name on it. And I'm sure that Nike does like you could make an ugly Air Max One or whatever in the uh, Nike ID, and it still like says Nike on it, and they still have to make it and ship it out. To you. <laughs> but maybe they don't want people saying like, "Oh, Nike makes that kind of stuff," and it's like it's out there. Um, and and yeah, like the Bamford stuff, like it's 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 not exactly for me either. But some people really like to have that level of customization, and especially like in some of their high end watches and you know more power to them if that's how they enjoy the hobby you know i'm not here to judge them um but uh there, there are some like trouble like there's this brand um artisans de geneve they'll take uh rolexes like if you buy a rolex you can send it into them and like commission some like customization type thing um so they, they mod rolexes basically um, yeah. 
I can imagine like this doesn't like Rolex is like, notoriously protective of their product and their IP and and you know they've been around a minute and so they've 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 got something going on and I think they're like they're their whole goal is not like uh, how can we like increase our quarter over quarter revenue like their their whole goal is yeah, how can we make sure that our brand is still as powerful as it is today in 50 years in 100 years and that's like their driving force right and i think that's where you come into issues when you're thinking of like oh man what are you allowing people to do with it <laughs> um yeah. but i agree i i would never like go after the artist community or the people doing this or the creators um but uh but it's it's definitely a scene that exists and you can enjoy it on a much smaller level too the seiko modding scene is like crazy and it has been for a long time we had a um we just had this pop up out in manhattan um where uh we, you know we had people come in we had a collector meetup and a guy brought this whole briefcase full of seikos that he had modded and they were all unique and different and he was so proud of them and it was awesome to see like his enthusiasm for that so he's taking these watches that are 350 bucks 400 bucks 500 bucks and like modding every part of it to make it his own you know which is i mean it's pretty cool to see right and that's like how he that's that's his passion that's how he enjoys the hobby and you know, more power to them, right? I think that that seeing that kind of a thing gets a lot of other people, as you mentioned, into the hobby as well. You know, they're saying, oh, I could do that. Um, I could make it my own. Like, there's something powerful to that, I think, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, there is no right or wrong with it, right? I, I think that that, you know, people being creative is always a good thing. But at the same time, you know, we're in this interesting spot where, you know, what's, what's the difference between, you know, not to, not to pick on anybody, but what's the difference between, you know, anybody on Instagram customizing a Jordan one and Virgil Abloh customizing and making his own Jordan one, right? Like the, in a sense, Nike and, and, you know, all the brands that are doing these collaborations and bringing in these artists and designers, they've created this, this demand on, uh, you know, on the, the uh, you know, on the, on the business side of it, they've created the demand by bringing in the partners. Now people are like, Hey, I've got all these shoes or I have access to, you know, I'm going to go buy these shoes from a Nike outlet and do this to 10 pairs. And next thing you know, it's a hundred pairs. Next thing you know, it's 500 pairs. And next thing you know, it's like Nike's mm -hmm. telling you not to do it. So it's it's a really kind of interesting time for it, I guess, you know, and, yep. you know, to me, I, I guess, like, I just like being an observer of it all, right? Yeah. Like, that's what I love about the hobby is, like, the intricacies of it. And, you know, I, I'm sure that it exists like this in watches, but, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big Allen Iverson fan. I've collected, you know, a lot of Allen Iverson shoes over the years, but, like, there are people that have much deeper and more nuanced Iverson collections than I have. Uh, you know, I worked for soul collector for years. So I, I have a massive collection of soul collector shoes. When we were doing collaborations, you know, that was kind of, I would say uh, uh, kind of where you guys are at, right? Like, you know, Warren and wound is kind of like the soul collector of, or what the soul collector used to be of the sneaker community. Right. Where it's like, Hey, these are just people that really appreciate the, like the normal, aspect of what this is you know it's not super high it's not super low it's just like everybody's kind of accepted we're all kind of weird for being this crazy about this particular product yeah. but that's what makes it cool right yeah, you know yeah well that's um, what's weird about it though and that's what i like and that's the difference again like 
the guy, you, you, it's easy to just walk into a dealer with a handful of money and just buy like whatever's hot, right? But it takes like time to like curate like your own taste and put together like your own, like you're bringing something of value to the community if you like have such a high, like a focus on like one thing, right? And especially with something like Allen Iverson, right? Like those shoes, maybe like a lot of people coming into the hobby right now are not familiar at all with, but there's a whole lot of scholarship now, thanks to collectors like that, that are putting a spotlight on it and like saying, Hey, look at this whole catalog of stuff that, that you didn't know about. That's awesome. Right. And I know like the whole vintage, like heritage reissue thing has become like really big in the watch world. And, uh, I don't know if you see the same kind of trends in, in the sneaker world, but I always enjoy seeing, like, when you post, uh, you know, the pictures of, like, Sean Kemp or Larry Johnson or um, Harold Miner or, or Charles Barkley or whatever, and, like, whatever shoes they're wearing in your sneaker history account. I'm always like, wow, I don't even remember. Like, I remember watching that stuff as a kid and having all those guys' cards and that kind of stuff, but the sneaker stuff didn't even cross my mind. Like, where are all the reissues of those kind of things now, right? Like, that seems like ripe territory <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And and I think that's an interesting, you know, kind of part to it too, is like, there's this, this, and, and maybe it would actually work better in watches in a sense, but like, there's this massive audience of people that have those memories that you can kind of tap into and say, Hey, remember this. And then it's like, if you remember that and really like it buy this pair of shoes, you know, like that's a legitimate reason why I've bought tons of shoes, right? It's like, Oh my God, I forgot that, you know, Tony Hawk wore these or, or, you know, like you said, Harold Miner wore these, like yeah. that's, you know, and, and being in it for so long now, like it's rare that I am like, I have like one of those moments that triggers a memory that I didn't remember because I've studied it for so long. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, okay, well I, I would love to have, you know, uh, all these shoes that I have. Right. But I, 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 I love sharing the stories more than I love the actual physical shoe. Right. I love, I have to be able to share that experience with somebody in order for it to really be important, you mm -hmm. know? And, and sometimes that's just me and my brothers, or sometimes it's just me and the sneaker history community. Sometimes it's, you know, you and like people in the car world and completely different worlds. And, you know, it's always like, a, it's always for me, like the conversation starter is, is what I'm always looking for. Right. And sometimes, you know, to, to your point about, you know, the watch you're wearing today and saying like, Hey, you know, the average person might not care, but like when you have that watch, that's nuanced enough, you're going to get into a conversation that is just so kind of, you know, puts you in the zone and, and gets you in that mood of like, this is why I love this stuff because, you know, somebody noticed enough and, and knows enough about it and cares enough about it to be able to have those conversations. But, um, it kind of makes me wonder too, like, do, is the, is that whole like kind of retro like vibe a, a thing in the watch world the way it is? And I know sneakers has become like almost too dependent on it, in my opinion. But um, how does that look in the watch world for people that are, you know, not as well versed in the watches? I would say it's the watch part is a lot of brands are becoming too reliant on their back catalog as well. It's easy to look back and say, oh, man, this watch is like really on trend right now that we made in. 1968 and 1969 like let's bring it back in uh, you know modern size put a modern movement in it and put a you know a few new colorways on it and stuff like that a, a lot of brands are like really relying on that kind of stuff right now and they've done really well for them and some of them are really cool right because it's on trend like it's it's just it is what it is but at this point now it's like where's you know we i want to see like the originality i want to see something I'm like how, how are we pushing forward you know like what's what's coming next 
and we can't always be kind of looking at well what's the next trend that's going to come up um and how can we be in front of that uh but like hey what do you want to make and like you know what does that look like and make and that's where i think there's a lot of like young brands right now that we really pay attention to that uh that are making their own thing and and they're it's wholly original and you love seeing it uh i mean the inspirations like are there but it's not like it's uh it's not like it's borrowing the heritage of somebody else. It's creating something entirely new, right? And and I think that's really important for the future of these hobbies that somebody does that. Like we cannot just keep in this – it's like the cyclical nature of it. Um, I mean and I love some of these reissues like as much as the next guy and they're really good looking and that kind of stuff. But – for like the longevity, I don't know. It's hard to like really get behind some of that stuff because you wanna you wanna like reward brands when they do when they're doing something original, um, you know. In in but I guess it's also a risk, right? Like uh, Audemars Piguet, really high end brand. They're really known for the Royal Oak, right? And that's a, that's a shape that's been around for a long time, and uh, and they they've become like. I mean, like almost like chained to it, right? Because it's so successful. And a few years back, they tried to do a new model, the Code 1159, um, which is like a, a totally new, unique thing. And they got kind of raked for it. You know, was it the best looking watch in the world? I, that's all subjective. But but I like that they did something different and new. And I, I like it when brands do that. And I think they should be rewarded. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a scary area to get into. You know, it's like, well, we know this works. And this might not work. And people might hate it because people hate change. And the Internet's going to Internet. And it's just going to be ugly for a while. But it's something that you almost like you have to do and just like commit yourself to. And just like stick to it and like evolve it over the years. And... You know, I, I I don't know. I don't think many designs are just like snap, like it's super popular. I, maybe the Jordan One or something like that, right? But yeah. uh, uh, and then there's a few watches that are, that I'm sure were. But a lot of it, like it just takes time, and it, and like it, it kind of goes in and out of taste. Uh, but like it's its own thing, and it's staying in its own lane. Uh, and I like to see that in the watch world. I want to see more of it in the watch world. And I don't want watches and brands to be so reliant on on what they did 50 years ago. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel the same way about sneakers. I, I, I do like seeing the retro product, you know, if it's if it's done well and, you know, it, it's it's tough because a lot of times, you know, the the uh, the approach now is, you know, well, we've got to make, I don't know, let's say 100,000 of these shoes, which means not only are you going to make the original color, but you're going to make you know, eight other colors that nobody really cares about. And it's like, you know, oh, we put a, you know, a South Beach color on the Jordan one because, you know, we had to make all these Jordan ones to, you know, make, make the mold, you know, the Jordan one's a bad example, but like to be able to, you know, justify the money that it costs to make the mold to make that new retro product. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, it's a really kind of catch 22 for, for the brands because they're, you know, they're not in the business of making small quantities. And that is what, ultimately hurts them when it comes to i think the kind of nostalgia aspect of sneakers yeah um but did do you do they rely on that though like the like uh with something like a, like a jordan 7 or something like do they need like like the infrared sixes that are, or sorry the six right the, the infrared sixes yeah. and then they did the uh, the travis scott one like do they rely on those kind of like flagship blockbuster releases to the, like okay then off the back of this we're going to release like 10 other colorways because like everyone's hot on the six now right yep definitely yeah yeah and 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 they do the same thing right it's like you know if you were to release a, a travis scott jordan one that's just a traditional jordan one or a traditional jordan six 
I would argue that you're probably going to sell more of that without the kind of new twist that he adds to it. Sometimes it's cool. You know, sometimes it's well done, but like we see a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, attempts at that, that that aren't successful from a lot of collaborators too. But um, one thing that I kind of wonder about um, because it's, it's always been kind of a, a, I guess like a very uh, nuanced group of people within the sneaker world. How does the kind of uh, the restoration aspect of watches fit into that, you know, that brand approach with, with, you know, old catalog product or retro, you know, product, I guess in the sneaker world is what we would call it. But how does that play into the bigger picture? And because I, I, as somebody who's not big into watches, that would be my approach just because I, I, I look at watches the way I look at cars. It's much different than sneakers to me. It's like, Oh, this is something that has this like incredible story or, or, you know, I guess like, generational value that I want to be able to kind of keep that and, and, you know, bring that and pass it along to the next generation or, or tell that story to the next generation. So how does that work in the watch world? Uh, this is everything I would like. I, I, I can't stress the importance of thinking like this when you're just coming into a hobby. And I know it's easy to like get seduced by whatever like sexy new thing is out there, but like you really should be thinking about this from the long term. And, and I even like small brands now are starting to think like this too in terms of like, all right, we're going to make a run of like 300 of these, but we're going to make a run of, you know, 900 of like these little parts that are sensitive to wear so that, you know, this person's kid or whatever will have like the the parts there. Otherwise, a watchmaker has to like literally make a new part by hand. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a big thing right now. And I think that if if you're buying something with the expectation to keep it and pass it on, then you should be able to rely on the brand itself to provide support for you to do that, right? Because that's kind of how they're marketing it to you, right? Um, you know, yeah. the Patek, you're not, you never really own a Patek. You merely look after it for the next generation, um, which is super hoity-toity. But, uh, but I mean, I think there's something, there's something there. Like this is something that, and if you really think about these products, it's like cost per wear, uh, like over the course of like years, I don't know if you think about it with sneakers, but like, Hey, if I'm going to buy these sneakers for a thousand bucks and I'm going to have them for 10 years and I'm going to wear them, you know, a few hundred times or whatever. And you break the cost out over that span. It's like, Oh, okay. It's, it's not so bad. Like with a watch, it's like, yeah, I'm going to spend 10 grand on this and I'm going to have it for 50 years. And I'm going to wear it every day for like 15 of those. And, um, you know, I yeah. think that's, that's a different thing. Right. And, and people should be aware that, this stuff breaks down, uh, just like sneakers. But it's it's uh, it's something that you know you you should be mindful of that. And, and just like a car, like if you take care of it, it's going to last a really long time. Um, and there's great like servicers and watchmakers that, like I said, if they need to, they can make custom parts for it. But I mean, I had a watch from a small brand that I got a long time ago, and I just put sent it in because I was having some issues. And he's like, I can't fix it because they don't make this part for it anymore. And it was like this part that was specially made for the watch, and like. That's that. And, you know, that sucks. You know, that's a, yeah. it's a terrible position to be in. But, um, like, I think if you're just coming to this hobby, like, you should be thinking of it in terms of, like, the longevity. And I think that helps you put your collection into context. And it helps you think of it in terms of, like, things that you want to keep instead of, all right, I'm going to get this and then I'm hunting for that, hunting for that, hunting for that. And it's, like, always on to the next thing instead of, like, this just really kind of forces you to focus in and think, like, 
uh, you know, I want to keep this for a long time. And this matters to me to keep it in this kind of a condition. Um, and I'm sure it's even more important with sneakers, who are, which are probably more susceptible to, to wear and tear than a watch is, right? I mean, do you guys yeah, think of it definitely. like it's like in like a lifetime term? I saw this uh, story on Instagram or something. This guy was taking old shoes, like original uh, J1s and like uh, replacing some of the parts with like um, the soles from like fake ones, but just so that you could wear them, can continue wearing them. Yeah. Uh, and I thought like, well, you know, the fake is one thing, but I really like that he's doing that, right? Because he's breathing new life into these. Yeah, well, that, and that's a really interesting thing about sneakers now, right? There's so many, you know, knockoff uh, companies making this stuff that it's, you know, easily accessible where, you know, and, and you could get into the debates as to whether like, you know, I'm sure it happens in the watch world, right? You said that part is not available for the watch you sent in. If you hadn't, if you went and had somebody make it, does that take away from the authenticity of the watch? Like that could be debated, you know, forever, right? It's, it's, it's just like, you know, for me, it's just like cars, right? It's like, okay, well, if you, if you replaced it with a non OEM part, is it really a real whatever? Right. And it's like, well, yeah, to a certain level, certain things you're going to want to be hundred percent, you know, OEM. If you're, trying to keep it that way if you're trying to just drive the car you might just want it to run and function right so yeah, um, yeah. i think with sneakers we we see a lot of people kind of doing that i guess the the good thing about sneakers is there's you know there's just massive amounts of swappable interchangeable parts right uh you know a, a jordan 3 for instance you might not have the you know the you, you don't have to if you pair, have a black cement pair you don't have to have a black cement pair to replace the outsole midsole right you can pull that off of any number of jordans have it you know painted or or you know whatever to kind of give you that experience again you know that you got from the jordan threes from 20 years ago or whatever it yeah. was when when you got that pair um but i i do think that it's i think it's an interesting idea to think about you know, the, the manufacturers even providing some of this stuff, right? Because at some point in the sneaker world, I think it has to happen. And, you know, we, there's not a lot of talk about this because I don't think most of sneakers is ready for it, but I do think that there will be a time when, uh, you can buy maybe just very nuanced things, but I do think that some of the brands will try that kind of thing to help, help the community, keep the stories going right because that's that's the challenge and and that's why in a lot of ways we're in this weird spot in sneakers where the jordan one is like kind of the only thing that and the dunks right like that everybody knows but if if the kind of customizers and restorers were empowered to bring a story back for some obscure shoe from you know larry johnson or something like that you might see interest in that shoe because it's so unique at some point, you know, like, and I think, I think we'll, it's just an ebb and flow. We'll, we'll, we'll eventually see, uh, you know, dunks and Jordan ones kind of go back to this, Hey, they're, they're, you know, great shoes, but they're always there. So, I, and I see them everywhere. So I'm going to wear something different and, and something more unique to, or more special to me personally than just this one that was, you know, just released last week that I had to throw on first thing. Yeah. Boy, I really wish other, more brands would like really take, take that seriously and think about their products in terms of, of 
that type of longevity, especially with shoes. I mean, I, that would make a big difference. And I would spend a lot more on a pair of shoes if I knew that I could get support for that shoe for the next like 20 years. And if the sole wore down like eight times, whatever, like, oh, I can, I can get them back. And, and I know that they make the components to make it like basically a brand new pair of shoes. I, I really love that concept. Um, and I think, you know, watch brands are starting to, to think of this, like, you know, I bought, if you, you bought a watch in the late nineties uh, with this bracelet and like you, you still got to make the parts for that. If, you know, what if, if a guy buys it and loses a bunch of weight or gains a bunch of weight or whatever in 15 years and he needs a new link for that bracelet. And it's a lot of like these small things that you don't really think about, but you should be thinking about, um, especially when in these hobbies where, you know, these are things that mean something to us. We're creating the stories in them, you know, at the end of the day, and we want to keep them around and we should keep them around. And it feels like more efficient and more responsible, frankly, if we think of it, these products that way, instead of like, well, every couple of years, I'll just get like a new pair or a new watch and throw this one away. Um, you know, like that's, it's not okay. But, um, in it, but there's the value of it too. It's like a whole other part. And, and when you talk about like replacing with non OEM parts, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen like what the used car market is doing right now and some of the crazy prices that you're seeing on some cars yeah. uh, go on, on if you follow like bring a trailer or anything like that. But I mean, I'm never uh, I mean, I'm always been surprised by by what I see there and, and uh, like the provenance and the originality of it is is everything um, like that one owner uh, Mark IV Supra that sold the other week for. 200 grand or something like that uh, because it was dead stock you know i mean if that had like the full rundown of of mods or whatever it's you know cuts the price and and you know maybe a quarter of of that or something um and with watches like these are things that do go to auction and people do argue over you know is that a redial is that a dial from a different watch that was brought over to this because you know like your jordan 3 example that part could be swappable <laughs> you know and, and yeah. if, if, if you've got a destroyed part on a super valuable watch that you can just swap in with that and then it becomes like a you know something else like this is this is like really risky territory in the auction world right now because these are watches that are starting to sell at auction for you know quarter million dollars half a million dollars a million dollars uh like this is really valuable stuff um and uh and with the sneakers i like is there is there like an auction scene like that or 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 like how seriously is that taken if you're going to look at the resale market like hey is this all original how many times has it been more and all that kind of like what's the provenance is that something that's thought about uh i mean we don't have you know i guess like an industry standard um one of the one of the guys that is a part of our community um he goes by the sneaker savant on instagram and twitter and, and all that he he has like a grading system almost like you know baseball card you know kind of style like you know 10 out of 10 being, you know, perfect or whatever. And I think that, you know, I don't think he's, he's done restoration type stuff, you know, in terms of grading that stuff. But I think that as the, as the interest for the hobby as a whole grows, the people that have been a part of it for so long are eventually going to be like, Hey, I only wear, you know, this handful of rotation, whatever, you know, maybe it's a, a two week or a three week or, you know, who knows, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but they're eventually going to get to that point where, look, I'm only going to keep certain things because they're very nostalgic. And that's when you end up wanting to have something that might look, you know, like might at least aesthetically be restored to a point where you want to see it in the display case behind you kind of thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a Jordan three, for instance, you know, I've owned, luckily I've owned most of those shoes throughout the years. Um, you know, with the exception of the originals and 
the story is always that the originals were the best quality and respectfully, I just disagree with that. Not, not on every shoe, but like, you know, there are plenty of shoes out there where the original shoe was not as great as we've nostalgically kind of built it up in our minds and the emotion behind it. And and I get it. Like I'm, I mean, I'm terrible about buying. I, I still buy old shoes because that's what I, I really love the nuance and the stories and like trying to find those interesting, Hey, nobody's going to see this again because you know, a shoe that came out in the nineties that nobody cares about is never going to be re-released. It's never going to be interesting to, you know, to somebody unless, unless it becomes a, a story through the community. Right. And then maybe it bubbles up throughout the years and you like have something that's interesting. But if the brands are trying to force the story on people, not force, you know, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because they do a great job of storytelling in a lot of ways. But, you know, going back to like how we started, authenticity from a brand should always come with an asterisk. Like you should always question if that's the real story of, of the shoe, of the product, in my opinion. When it is, it's great, right? You see it with, you know, the success of certain models or, you know, certain colorways. But when it's not, you know, it's like, I don't know, is it really as important as we were told it is, right? Are we just, are we just, you know, kind of falling into that FOMO trap that has become the default marketing, you know, tactic for so many companies right now. And, uh, you know, that's a whole, you know, philosophical conversation for another time. But I, I, I think that, you know, with sneakers, we'll eventually find some place, uh, some form of grading or some form of collectible, you know, kind of collectible world. We're seeing it with, with, you know, Sotheby's and some of these other auction sites that are, you know, but th these, these shoes are, you know, incredibly unique, right? This is a pair that Michael Jordan wore in the, you know, making of Space Jam, right? Like that's, that doesn't, that doesn't compare to a pair of Space Jam Jordan 11s that I own or that I wore or something like it just, it's not the same. So, um, but I, I do think that, you know, the more, the more people come into the hobby, in my opinion, the better it is, you know, you deal with a lot of ups and downs with that, right? There's a lot of, a lot of negativity that people see coming into it. But at the same time, the attention brings more opportunity for guys like you and I, people that are super passionate about it to go out there and, you know, talk about it, be involved in it and, and find ways to earn a living. So that's the kind of stuff I, I still, you know, I still think like at the end of the day, even if it's, it's not, you know, uh, the, the, whatever it is that brings the attention might not be the best thing at the time. It still benefits everyone who's a fan and a, and a hobbyist because you know, like you're going to meet new people, you're going to get more experiences and you're going to get more opportunities to be a part of it. So, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. I guess like the last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up, um, you know, what, what's like the, what would be the advice to somebody, you know, coming from sneakers who, you know, maybe they don't have a, a watch or got that first watch handed down from, you know, a parent or whatever, or, or maybe they're just, they've, they've been in the G-Shock world for, you know, the last couple of decades. Where do they, where do they start? And, and what are some of the things they look for in like, you know, kind of getting into watches as a hobby? Yeah. So I, this is, this is a big world out there. There's a lot of brands. There's a lot of new brands coming up all the time. Um, so I think just hopping in, you got to know that your tastes are going to change and you're probably going to make a few mistakes. And 
it happens with every hobby, right? Like you just get into it because you saw something that you liked and, and then you realize like, oh, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg or your tastes take a left or, or whatever. Like that's okay. And it's okay to make some of those mistakes and that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to get experiences. And I think the most important thing is to just like create those experiences. Like, like buy watches, have experiences in them. Uh, it's not like you have to spend a ton of money to do this and just like get a sense of what you like and what you respond to. Um, and one thing that I think people should really think about is like what's comfortable on their wrist, right? Like at the end of the day, like this is something that you should want to wear that feels good on your wrist. So I know that there's a lot of like big watches out there that look really cool and all that kind of stuff. But trust me, they're not fun to wear like all day in day out. Like don't discount smaller watches. They're really comfortable and uh, they, they, you can, you can, you can find them at, at really great prices from a lot of brands and in, uh, in original form too. brands like Serica, um, S-E-R-I-C-A, uh, brands like Autodromo, uh, brands like Ferrer. Uh, they're doing really awesome original stuff that all is a thousand bucks or so or under um, that, uh, that, you know, you could walk into a room full of watch knobs and, and it all tipped their cap to you, you know, um, like we had this event out in, uh, in Manhattan that I was telling you about. We had collectors come in with six figure plus watches and, and people come in with, you know, $500 watches. Like if you're passionate about it, you're passionate about it and you bring something to the table and that's great. Like we'll welcome you with open arms. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is like, just jump in and don't be afraid to make mistakes, I guess. Uh, and of course, uh, read one and wound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Uh, definitely want to, give you the opportunity to, to let people know how to find you, uh, you know, obviously personally or, or with Warren and Wound too. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it, Nick. It's always a pleasure. Um, so I am Blake Bettner, uh, at Blake underscore Bettner, B U E T T N E R, um, or just hit up Warren and Wound, um, at Warren and Wound, uh, check out our podcast. Um, we've got clowns like Nick on all the time and we're always just having great conversations. So, um, and it's not always just about watches. Um, so don't feel like, oh, you gotta be a hardcore watch nerd to, to get in and enjoy it. And so, um, so yeah, check out the site and, uh, you know, engage with us as, as you want and let us know, um, if Nick sent you, we'll give you a shout out. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, make sure you guys, I'll put links in the description to Blake and to Warren and Wound. But thank you all for tuning in, rocking with us again for another episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Hey, everyone. This is Nick again. Before you take off, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. We just launched our new merch, including tees, stickers, keychains, and a bunch of other pieces you can grab to show your support for the podcast. You can purchase it now through our companion site, sittingtreasure.com. You can also get access to more episodes of the podcast by joining our Discord community at patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Plus, we've got a bunch of other fun things going on in the community, including trivia nights, giveaways, access to sneaker raffles from around the world, release announcements, and my favorite, just good people helping good people get the sneakers they want. Plus, we're not bought by advertisers, investors, or other big money. I'm confident in saying this is the best sneaker community I've ever been a part of. We've also teamed up with a few partners to offer our supporters discounts. You can find some in the links for this episode and even more in our Discord. Give us a try, and if you don't enjoy it, you can always cancel the membership at any time. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of someone showing appreciation. Thank you all for the support, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question 
and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.